I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Kira Revan, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. On this week's Sunday 7, we look into the climate crisis, panic about the next pandemic, hear from an extraordinary U.S. Congress investigation about UFOs, and work out how to detect disinformation. But first, on this day in 1898, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg and his brother, Will Keith Kellogg, invented the flake cereal based on wheat that we now know as cornflakes. The original name, the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflake Company. It's become increasingly difficult for the climate change deniers amongst us to ignore what seems to be an accelerating climate crisis. From heat waves across southern Europe and the US to floods in Japan and Korea, increasing red flags on ocean temperature, melting Antarctic ice sheets and of course the wildfires that have dominated headlines all week. It's clear that something terrible is happening to our planet. Gareth Redmond King is the international lead of the Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit. They're a non-profit initiative that aims to support informed debate on energy and climate issues. He spoke to Kay Burley on Sky News and he says that the world needs to wake up to what is only the beginning of the crisis. Bluntly, this is uh, the new normal. We need to uh, learn to adapt to these higher temperatures. But although this is going to get more frequent, this sort of intense and very hot heat wave, actually it will keep getting worse as we keep emitting uh, greenhouse gases. The crisis and accelerating temperatures is also having unexpected effects across the globe. Siberian permafrost is a relic of the last ice age and it covers vast areas of Russia's far east but as the planet warms it's starting to melt. The world's biggest permafrost crater is in Batagi and it's begun to expand rapidly as deforestation has exposed the long frozen soil creating what's known as a slump. Nikita Tananaev is from the Melnikov Permafrost Institute and he says there's more to come. sure and the satellite observations prove us that the slump is expanding currently. Toward the future, with increasing temperatures, with high anthropogenic pressure, we will see more and more of those mega slumps forming. Greta Thunberg has been trying to raise the alarm on climate change since 2018 when she started protesting outside the Swedish parliament every Friday. She hasn't stopped, picking up a fine from police in Malmö this week for refusing to leave a protest. I'm disappointed at the system, but I didn't expect anything else than this. Uh, we know that the current laws that we have now are insufficient in addressing the climate emergency. She's reflecting a growing impatience amongst activists that governments and the population at large are failing to understand the urgency of the situation. Just Stop Oil have been making headlines with a dramatic and non-violent protest, which includes stopping traffic and spraying buildings with orange paint. Zoe Cohen from Just Stop Oil explained their rationale on Sky News. Unless people do 
things that are slightly transgressive, non-violently transgressive, people don't notice the difference. So if I do this, hey, if I sit on the floor in the studio, it's a bit different, isn't it? And it might get noticed because I'm transgressing the rules of an interview, but it's completely non-violent, I'm not threatening anyone, but it's a bit different. Each week, we check in on the latest in the world of tech with our resident guru, Will Guyatt. How are you, Will? Yeah, really good, thank you. Let's not talk about X and leave Elon alone for a week. Let's talk Meta instead. They seem to be spending a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, this is really interesting for a couple of reasons, because we've all got caught up in AI and artificial intelligence stuff over the last year or six months. But before that, Zuckerberg was talking about this brave new future of the metaverse. So much so, they've spent $21 billion since the beginning of last year. Now, we're not talking about Twitter or X this week, but that's basically buying half of Twitter or X. It's a staggering amount of money that they're pumping into something that, quite simply, nobody is yet buying and nobody yet really cares about. We're not buying it. No one seems to want it. No one's even talking about it. What's happening, do you think, Will? Are they going to surprise us with another Thread-style launch? Mm, I don't think we are. And what's very, very interesting in this story, not tied up with the results, um, Meta's annual results, um, is the fact that we've heard in the last week or so, they're scaling back on the technology that they were planning to use in these new augmented reality devices. So it would appear that their desire to keep spending to the level that they were spending on this project is slowing down. But um, Zuckerberg's bet the house on this, as far as I can see. It's been his, it's his future, it's his way of keeping this place relevant. But then at the same time, he's gone and launched threads at the same time, which is almost the kind of diametric opposite of what he's been promoting in this kind of brave world of AR. As you've mentioned, Threads, how's that going? We're a month in and again, it seems to have settled down a bit, not hearing much about it anymore. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, this, because um, lots of kind of social media analysts and social media data companies are coming out and saying it's really cooled off, um, you know, it's in trouble, etc, etc, etc. If you look at the numbers, your average social network takes probably... Uh, at least six months, at least six months to get to 100 million users. Some of them took, some of them took years. This one did it in a week, and uh, it's definitely true that not all of those 100 million users are coming back to it. But based on numbers Meta have released, around 25 million of us are still coming back to the service and posting on a regular basis. Thanks, Will. So to come on the Sunday Seven, it's time to prepare for the next pandemic already, and we check into the Seahorse Hotel. It seems like nearly everything has been turned pink by the Barbie marketing department. From a giant 3D doll in Dubai to the lifts in your local shopping centre. So you'd be forgiven for blaming Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig for our next story. We're heading to Lake Tekirigal in Romania, which has suddenly and dramatically turned flamingo pink. Biologist Adrian Bilba says we can't necessarily point the finger at Mattel for this, though. The bacteria end up being the only ones to 
to proliferate, to use a primitive photosynthesis pigment, which has a pinkish color, and these bacteria also color flamingos' feathers. This pigment is normal. It is characteristic of salty lakes, concentrated lakes, and ones with a high temperature. The world has more or less shaken off the pandemic, with life essentially returning to normal, even though COVID-19 remains active and continues to cause deaths. It's no longer among the top 10 causes of death in the UK or Europe. It's important to remember, though, that while we might think of COVID as the pandemic, it was, in fact, just a pandemic. And there's even possibility that we'll face another one at some point soon. All of the factors that help COVID spread, international travel, close-packed cities, a huge global population remain in place. So what's been done to prepare for Pandemic 2? Chief Executive of the UK's Health Security Agency, Dame Jenny Harris, says that actually we're still facing risks from existing diseases, along with the potential for new ones. We have other uh, infectious diseases which are causing us problems, things we thought had gone away a little bit, or people do. So measles, for example, uh, rising in London, very significantly where there is uh, relatively low vaccination rates, particularly uh, in children and the things like antimicrobial resistance of course are making a strong fight for our lives actually as we go forward. Uh, one of the things we are doing is as we've seen in the pandemic is use data in a very different way so we are setting ourselves up to do much more systematic surveillance both of the infections that we know but also using things like metagenomics where you are not following a single pathogen through the use of genomics but you're looking at the risks associated okay. with the presentation. Still to come on the Sunday 7, we test your ability to detect misinformation and hear some extraordinary testimony about UFOs. Right after this. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome back. The world is a confusing place at the best of times, but with AI, chatbots and Twitter descending into verified blue tick hell, it's not always easy to tell what's real and what's not. A new YouGov study in the US shows that younger Americans are actually worse at detecting fake news than their older counterparts. Now, you may be tut-tutting and saying, well, I'd definitely be well able to tell real from fake, so get ready to prove it. The good people at Cambridge University have created what they called 
missed. That's a misinformation susceptibility test. We've put a link to it on today's show notes, so go and have a try. The man behind it is on the line now, Dr. Raccoon Martins. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Why do we need to have this test? Shouldn't we just believe what we read? We live in a new type of society. There are many different types of information, many different types of sources of information. And uh, we're also in an era of fake news generated by artificial intelligence. I became interested in the topic of doing research uh, on measuring susceptibility to misinformation. And I saw there was no standardized test, so I set out to do that using fake news generated by GPT and real news headlines from trustworthy sources to figure out how good people actually are in discerning real from fake news. At The Smart 7, we run a daily news podcast, so we consider ourselves experts at figuring out what's real and what's fake. But I only scored 15 out of 20. Is that bad? Well, 15 15 out of 20 is is a good score. It's it's on the upper average uh, range. Um, But you may have seen that you got a separate score for uh, fake news detection, for real news detection with discernment. So it could be, for example, that you're a bit too sceptical in general. And that test tries to get feedback on that as well. I've been told I'm sceptical in the past. Does that make sense? What should we be doing about AI in newsrooms? The test highlights some real dangers, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, about every big change in society. I think that there are some huge potential benefits of using AI because you can also use AI to detect misinformation. We can we let, we let the GPT, chat GPT do the uh, the MIST test, the misinformation susceptibility test, and it scored 20 out of 20. Maybe even more worrying is that it generated fake news headlines that we thought were true. So, uh, and then other headlines that we thought were fake, but they were actually true, but it, it, it said it was fake. So it can be really confusing at times. We're putting a link to the test in the show notes But is there a reason you don't give the correct answers? Is it to stop people like me going back and filling in all the right answers, which would ruin your data? Yeah, uh, there are a couple of reasons for that. The first one is that we want to use this test in research as much as possible uh, until people know all the answers to the test, because then it's no longer that valuable for research. So first and for all, it's a research instrument. The second reason is you can actually retake the test and try to learn and try to figure it out. And if you do that, it's a bit more of an intense process. It's not quick and easy, but you you will learn more. And finally, the re- the, the correct responses are actually uh, available in the scientific paper that is published with the test. One of the great mysteries of our times has been the existence, or not, of UFOs and alien life. The search for extraterrestrials has consumed dozens of TV shows, movies, books and podcasts, with conspiracy theories abounding about the US government's mysterious Area 51. Now it seems as if the veil of secrecy is finally starting to lift, with the Pentagon publishing videos in 2021 of what it calls unidentified anomalous phenomena, or encounters that they can't explain with flying objects. And now a US congressional hearing got some start new evidence. It's hard to assess how fact-based some of the testimony at Wednesday's hearing is, but it featured a whistleblower who worked for the Department of Defence for 14 years. David Grush claims that the US government has been running secret programmes for years, seeking to reverse engineer crashed craft, but that wasn't his only revelation. As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? 
non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. That's a pretty big claim, and the Pentagon says they haven't uncovered any cover-up or any verifiable evidence that reverse engineering projects existed in the past. One of the most famous videos is the so-called Tic Tac video, which shows an object behaving in highly unusual ways. And former Commander Favor, one of the pilots involved in that incident, also testified, and he says the evidence is there to be uncovered. You have to know where to look. They're not going to divulge it to you because of the classification levels but if you know where to look and who to talk to then you then you have them and former navy pilot ryan graves says we're probably not even getting the full picture in terms of the number of incidents that go on this is an approximation based off of my personal experience speaking with a number of pilots but i would estimate we're somewhere near five percent reporting perhaps so like 95 percent basically don't report seeing uaps that's just my personal estimate The oceans are troubled places right now between a maritime heat wave, noise pollution and the perils of overfishing. It's a tough time to be a sea creature. And one of the most unique and distinctive fish is a seahorse. In Sydney, Australia, a conservation project focused on the rare white seahorse sees marine biologists constructing unique seahorse hotels beneath the surface of the sea. Mitchell Brennan is the project manager for the Sydney Seahorse Hotel and he explains the rationale behind the scheme. We've seen dramatic population losses, which means that we need to act act now in order to help these guys persist into the future. So the reason that this seahorse species is endangered is through habitat loss, so the loss of things like seagrasses and soft corals. So the seahorse hotels we place out into the wild and over time they will accumulate lots of natural growth, including sponges and algae and become a suitable habitat for all the seahorses, replacing that habitat that's been lost or degraded in the past. This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft